All right, so this morning's going to be just a tad bit different. I know this Resurrection Sunday. Everybody say Happy Resurrection Sunday. He is alive. Resurrection Sunday. So, um, in, all, in full disclosure, it's possible that you're here and this is the one or two Sundays that you come a year to church. It's great to have you. Okay, let me tell you how the church historically has celebrated Easter. We have gotten together and we have talked about how all the bad people killed our Savior and made the bad people feel really bad for doing it and then asked the bad people to come join us as the good people. It's such a good story that we even make dramas about it. We make them into productions, Broadway musicals. And at the end, we give these great, awesome, emotional appeals for you to come and follow the Savior that we're mad at you about for killing. We basically say, nice try, and then as a church, we thumb our nose at the world and say, but it didn't work because you're a loser. So this morning, we want to do something a little bit different. This morning, my heart is that you would see the message of the cross just a little bit differently. That you would see that the cross is not something that divides us. But that the more we're around the cross, the more that we look at the cross, the more we think about the cross, the closer we get to the cross, the less we see differences in each other. That when we really struggle with, you're different than me, it's because we have lived our lives far away from the cross that was meant to unite us. That's where we're headed this morning. So what's going to happen is, the band's going to lead us in a song, the, the dance team's going to come and they're going to dance and you're going to have the chance just to kind of focus a little bit. Start thinking about the cross. Because we're going to spend this morning looking at the cross. What does it have to say to us? And then I'll do a little bit of teaching, we'll sing some more. I'll do some teaching, we'll sing some more. And then you'll go and rescue the ham that's burning in your oven right now. Let's pray. God, we just take this time this morning. It's great to be in this place. I'm always amazed at how you are able to take a coffee shop and make it your dwelling place. This is your house this morning. This is not a place that just serves lattes. This is a place where your spirit is now dwelling. You are alive. You are risen. Today, more than ever, we worship and sing to a living God. This morning as we think about not just the empty tomb, but what took place on the cross before it. My prayer, God, is that you would open our eyes to see the power of redemption. Amen. They did a great job. Give them a big hand. You guys can be seated. Just tell the person next to you, redeemed. Say redeemed. All right, if you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and get them out, get your note sheets out. Now, we have intentionally moved the band to the corner, not because they were bad. I keep forgetting I've got parents in here. You're like, oh, the band was bad. Put them in the corner. We just wanted to make sure that all the focus as much as possible this morning was on the cross, okay? All the focus is on the cross. So we're going to talk about two things that we learned at the cross, you got note sheets, you're one of the lucky ones. It's like winning the lottery around here. I got a note sheet. If you didn't get a note sheet, 
you can get it offline later. Here's the first thing that we're going to talk about. The cross brings us to a common place. The cross brings us to a common place. Take a minute and just look around the room. Go ahead. Take it in. Look at all the people that are near you. Notice how you're different. Notice how they're ugly. And you're not. Right? Notice how... It's funny how we paint ourselves in the best possible light, don't we? Like, we're not, we're not overweight, we're healthy, but other people, they need to be on The Biggest Loser, right? Um, I, I've told you this before, one of my professors told me this in seminary. He said, if you're walking down the street and you trip, if you, tri- if you see somebody else trip on the sidewalk, you look at them and go, they're idiots. But if you trip, you go, what idiot made this sidewalk, right? But look around, I want you to look around. Move your head, swivel it a little bit. Notice the people that are near you. Here's something that you're going to see right away. We are different. We are very different. But the cross brings us to a common place. Over the years, the church has done a great job of adopting the cross as its own symbol, as a symbol that divides. So we buy it, we wear it, we market it, We don't necessarily live according to it, but we make it ours. We hold it up with pride. This is our symbol. It's not your symbol. Because we're good and you're bad. We're the church and you're the world. What I want you to see this morning, that the cross is a symbol that divides. But it does not divide us from them. It divides us from God. The cross brings all of us to a common place. We are sinners in need of salvation. I want to be very clear about this point. We are sinners in need of salvation. We're not sinners in need of Dr. Phil or Oprah. We're sinners in need of salvation. Many argue this point. Um, I'll just be honest, we live in the South, so a lot of people here think they would agree that they need some help. They would agree that they might need a leg up or a hand out, but they would not agree that they are powerless and helpless and utterly without hope except for a Savior. You know people like that, right? I mean, you wouldn't be that person, would you? Is it possible that we don't think we're all that bad, just a little bad? We're sinners in need of salvation. Sin is such a problem. Here's a bunch of verses. I just want you to write down the references. Sin is such a problem that the Bible says that we sin by what we do in Romans 3.23. It says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And by what we don't do. James 4.17 says that if you know to do and you don't do it, you have sinned. I mean, how's that? That's a great way to start an Easter Sunday, isn't it? Hey, look, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. For all the parents, I use that word appropriately. We're between a rock and a hard place. If we do something, we sin. If we don't do something, we sin. We are sinners in need of salvation. Still not convinced? Here's just some of the truth of God concerning sin. We are slaves to sin. John 8, 34. John 8, 34 says this. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave 
to sin. We're not just slaves to sin, we're born in sin. Psalm 51.5 says, in sin was I conceived. Here's my favorite one. We're blind to sin. Have you ever tried to point out somebody else's fault to them? How'd that go? But you could see it clearly, couldn't you? You were like, dude, I'm telling you, I see it so clearly. It's like a neon sign going, you are wrong, you are wrong. And they're like, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. You're wrong. It's a fun conversation, isn't it? But we're blind to sin. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and John 12, 40. We read this passage last week. Romans 1, 32 says that we're comfortable with sin. That's at the end of that. That's the most depressing chapter in the whole Bible, Romans 1. And so God just, he starts, Paul's writing about how we know God, but we turn from God. And so we turn from God, we just keep going downhill, right? And at the very end of that chapter, verse 32, the Bible says this. We're so gone in our sin that not only are we sinning, but we are applauding people who sin. That's people that are comfortable in their sin. We're slaves to sin. We're born in sin. We're blind to sin. We're comfortable with sin. And Genesis 4-7 says that we are haunted by sin. It is everywhere you turn. Genesis 4-7, God said, sin is crouching at your feet and desires to have master over you. It's everywhere. It's like kudzu, right? You can't get rid of it. Do you see now why we struggle so much with sin? Why we simply can't just choose one day to stop sinning? I love how we try to do this. We've got phrases like, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. If it's January 1st, we make a New Year's. We always try, don't we? We always try to change our lives, to be a little bit better. We join a gym. We say, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read the whole Bible. And we get to Leviticus and stop. For obvious reasons, Leviticus is tough, right? Maybe start in the New Testament and work your way up. But we always try to do better. Have you ever said that just to yourself? I'm going to try to do better. How many people have found themselves paying the price for their sin and whispering to themselves, never again? Only a day, a week, a month, a year later to say the same thing again. I know this is true because I was a youth pastor for 20 years. I pray with the kids at the altar every week about the same thing. Because we're slaves to sin. The cross brings us to a common place. All of us. All. Everybody say all. All of us are sinners in need of a Savior. So sin, I want to be clear here, is not an us and them problem. It's an us and him reality. When God looks down at humankind, he does not go, oh, there's good people and bad people. He goes, oh. Read the history of the Old Testament, and occasionally on, at times God said this, oh, what have I done? We are sinners. The cross brings us to that place. We are sinners in need of a Savior. God's a perfect God. We're an imperfect people. And the thing about God is that he was completely justified just to leave the gap there. He didn't have to do anything about it. But you know what the cross says? 
the cross proves that God was not willing for a gap to be there. I love that. Here's a few more verses. Just jot these down. 2 Peter 3, 9. God wants no man to perish. He wants none to perish. So what do you do in John 3, 16? The one verse that everybody knows. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He wants no one to perish. He so wants no one to perish that he gave his own son. He sent Jesus on a rescue mission, Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So just kind of follow where we're headed here. God is holy. We are not. There's a gap between us and God. And he could have left it there. He could have done what so many of us want to do as parents. I gave you a chance. You messed it up. Sorry. Go to your room. No supper. But he didn't. The cross brings us to a common place. We are sinners in need of salvation. We have a God who was willing to do something about it. He came to seek and save the lost. The mission included the cross. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and verse 8 says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Let's read it. It's the most un-American verse in the Bible. You see, verse 6 in chapter 5 of Romans, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, that's the un-American word. We hate to be powerless, don't we? I mean, I'm, you know, older now than I was, and I had a birthday like a week or so ago, and guess what I did on my birthday? Push-ups. Yeah, you know Why? Because I can still do push-ups, right? We don't like to be powerless. I'm not going to say how many I did or if I got up off the floor when I was done. A hundred. But whatever. All at once. Okay, let's just move on from there. We don't like to be powerless. There's something about us that wants to prove we can still do it. So <clears throat> I'm looking around the room at the men in the house that are like my age. How many of you have had ibuprofen, lots of it, because the day before you tried to prove you could still do it, right? I can still play basketball for five hours. I can still lift weights, even if it's just the bar. Sure, tackle football, bring it on. And we pay for it later, don't we? We don't like to be powerless. We're Americans. We're self-made people. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Which, by the way, is fun to watch people try to do. Video it. Make a lot of money on YouTube. Watch somebody try to pull themselves up. But that's who we are as Americans. I can do it. But the Bible says that you couldn't. The Bible says that we're in such a bad place as sinners that you could do nothing. Let me rephrase. When you were powerless and ungodly, there was one thing that you could do. You killed the man who came to save you. That's what the Bible says. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The mission was completed at the cross, John 19.30. John You've heard this said, I'm sure Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. I mean, I love that. 
right? Because I'm, I'm the first chapter of a book guy. I've told you that. Like, I've got lots of books. I've read the first chapter. Finishing? Not so much. Jesus finished the mission. He came to seek and save the lost, and he was on the cross and said, It is finished. I did it. He completed the mission. He's like the first Rambo. Which is kind of weird to picture Jesus, right? And he had the long hair, but I don't think he had the bullet straps. I don't know. But he came to seek and save, and he actually pulled it off. He said, it is finished. The cross is the place where God's rescue plan was completed. Here at the cross, next blank, Jesus is a Savior. I love that. The cross brings us to a common place. We're sinners in need of, a, of salvation. And at the cross, at that place, Jesus is a Savior. And salvation gives us victory. Can somebody say yes? It gives us victory. Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. We're going to read these. We've got to read about victory. Romans chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. Paul writes, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Do you hear that? This is Paul. He's in prison, right? Because we're slaves to sin. And he's in prison. He cannot get out. He's a good American old boy. He's a southern boy, and he's tried everything he can. He's tried AA. He's tried N.A. He's tried whatever A. He's tried it all. And it's not working. And he finally gets to the place where he says, I can't do this. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have victory at the cross. Romans chapter 5, verses 15, 18 and 19 and 21. Paul writes, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, that would be Adam. Everybody go, Oh, you don't get mad at Adam. I do. Like, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate that. If you could have just told Eve to lay off the fruit, maybe it wouldn't be like it is. The one man, one man sinned, and it came to all of us. And he says, but it's not like that with the gift. If death came through one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Verse 18, consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Verse 21, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have victory. Salvation gives us victory. Last verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What I love about that verse is it comes right after Paul's talked about the resurrection. How many of you have lost people that you love to death? Raise your hand. Am I, am I okay to say it hurts? There is sting in death, right? And I love it when Paul writes, hey, death, where's your sting? You have no hold over us. 
It might hurt for a moment, but at the cross, we have victory. We have victory because we have a Savior, because we were sinners in need of salvation. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we experience that victory? Here's some ways that will not work. Trying harder, praying longer, living better. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. If we could pass the microphone around this room, countless numbers of you could get up here and say, yeah, he's right because I tried it. I just ended up broke. I bought every book I could find, self-help book. I, bought, I tried every program. I just, it didn't work. My wife, we even went on a marriage retreat, dude. Like I was around a hippie dude that was making me feel stuff. It doesn't work. It was not like couples retreat. It doesn't work. We've tried. None of those things work. How do we experience this victory? By recognizing, this is a long sentence, I'll say it again. By recognizing the sinful human condition that falls short of the exalted godly position and accepting the sacrificial solution provided at the cross. One more time, because there were a lot of multisyllable words there. I had a hard time reading it. Here we go. By recognizing the sinful human condition, that's me and that's you, that falls short of the exalted godly position, because he is a holy God, and accepting the sacrificial solution provided at the cross. His name is Jesus. So in desperation and humility, we've got to admit that we are prisoners in need of a rescue, that we are sinners in need of salvation that we could never orchestrate or pull off. We need victory over the enemy that only a Savior like Jesus can give. And so here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to worship God. We're going to worship a holy God. And some of you are going to be like all in, right? You're going to have your hands up. You're going to be like, your face is going to be full of worship. And some of you are going to look like this. What's going on right now? I don't know what to do. Because you don't know Jesus. Simple as that. And this is your chance to say yes to Jesus. Because all of us are the same. And the people that are really into this next, the next two songs, they're really singing. Even like, you know people love Jesus when they sing and they can't. Right? You're going, uh, God, I don't, I don't really pray, but make him stop. <laughs> I mean, when they're, like, they're in, they're in, right? And they just don't care. But you know why they're doing that? Because they were just like you. We're all the same. We've all been sinners in need of salvation. That's the common place that the cross brings all of us to. So in this room, no one's better than anybody else. I didn't bring pictures of it, but I thought back to 9-11. You know the pictures that I love from 9-11? Are the ones where they're all walking out with ash all over them. And you can't tell who's a policeman, who's a fireman, who's black, who's white, because they're all just covered. That's where we are. That's where we are. So this morning, I want to give you the chance to respond right now. Because after we get into singing, we're going to talk about the next thing that we learned at the cross. And that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot. So we're stopping here. This is kind of where the typical Easter message start, stops, right? We do the play and we say, okay, some of you need to get saved. 
And we're really good about salvation. But I want to give you the chance this morning to say yes to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. I am a sinner in need of salvation. I'm a sinner in need of salvation. The band's going to lead us in a song. It's going to talk about the holiness of God. They're going to lead us in in a new song. God, you're my God. That's what I want you to focus on right now. The cross brings us to a place where we see that he is God and we are not. That's good stuff. Mm. You grab your seats. That's my dad right there. That guy we've been singing about. I was thinking about this. Man, that song is so good. God, you are my God. There was, um, it's been a while back, but Sydney had a good friend named Jackson. And um, I'll never forget the time that she was introducing um, her, her friend Jackson. And we were all standing around. She was talking, looking at me. She pointed at me. And she said, and that's, that's it's my dad. And it's Parker's dad. And it's Will's dad. It's Jackson's dad. I went, I'm Jackson's dad? What? She just wanted everybody, she wanted me to be everybody's dad. She just wanted me to be everybody's dad. Now, I felt that way while we were singing that song. You know, I just, that's my dad. And that's what we're getting ready to talk about. See, some of you don't know God as dad. You know him as a, as a God, far off, who's mad at you, who came to the cross and he sent his son and his son took the punishment for your sins and my sins. But if we're honest, we're pretty sure that God wasn't happy about it. It was like, well, dang, I guess I have to send my son. But I want to introduce you to a father who's not like that. See, the cross brings us to a common place, but here's the second part. The cross offers us uncommon grace. Uncommon grace. It offers us uncommon grace because we are more than sinners in need of salvation. We are also orphans in need of redemption. We're orphans in need of redemption. Not only is Jesus a Savior, but here Jesus is our Redeemer. Listen to a few verses about redemption. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 5. Starting in verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law. And here's why He sent Him, verse 5, to redeem those under the law. So that we might go to church for the rest of our lives. No. I mean, that's good, right? But no. So that we might receive the full rights of sons. I love that. That's my dad. He redeems us and makes us his sons and his daughters. Titus 2.14. 
It's a really, Titus is a really small book. It's back there around Timothy. They like to hang out together. Titus 2.14 says this. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people. That's you. Look around the room. We're in a crowd of people. He redeemed us so that he would have a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So he redeems us. He makes us sons and daughters. He redeems us. He gives us an identity as his people. He gives us power to bring him glory. And in Ephesians chapter 2, love Ephesians. And whenever you are around the gathering, you will hear us say the word near a lot, right? We'll say, hey, we're the gathering. We're near God, near man. This is where it comes from. Ephesians chapter 2. I could read you the whole thing, but we won't. We'll just start in verse 12. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Remember that at that time, at what time? At the time before Jesus. Remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But, everybody say but. This is a good but, right? We take pills to get rid of the bad buts, but this is a good but. But, now, in Christ Jesus, you, who were once far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Listen, in case you don't know, that is good news. Verse 19, he says it again. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household here's what happens the cross offers us uncommon grace okay so we know that we're sinners in need of a savior we need salvation all that stuff but we're orphans in need of redemption and guess what redemption does it takes outsiders and makes them insiders in short redemption gives us a home and it gives us a family the cross doesn't just save us and give us victory it redeems us and gives us value now look at the person next to you how are they looking now? About as butt ugly as before, right? But we'll get to the outside later. But on the inside, something could be changing right now. Because the redemption gives us value. Redemption gives us value. How? How did the death of Jesus on a cross give you and me value? And here's how. Because value is determined by what someone is willing to pay. And Jesus paid everything for you we already talked about john 1930 right a little greek lesson you ready when jesus said it is finished it's a word it's right there on that chalkboard actually it's tetelestai that's the greek word and it means this paid in full it's that little thing you like to see when you owe how many of you went through dave ramsey financial peace <laughs> you ready to get the letter from your credit card company that says paid in full and you would really love to get that letter if you got it and you went, I don't remember paying that. <laughs> That's awesome, right? Somebody just paid it for you. I heard about a guy that paid somebody's power bill for the whole year. I mean, they're not here, so don't go looking for them. But, you know, I could use that. I need a friend like you. <laughs> but that's awesome. Can you imagine getting the notice from the power company? Hey, your bill for next year is paid in full. Paid in full. How much did Jesus pay for you? All. 
All. And if somebody pays all for you, I don't care how you look, how you feel, how you smell, how crappy and messed up your life is, how jacked up your stuff is. If somebody pays all for you, guess how much you're worth? All. Because value is determined by what somebody's willing to pay for you. I have a Taurus. It is worth to me what I paid for it. $2,600 cash. It's my Dave Ramsey beater mobile. I would love someday to meet the person who walks up to me and says, dude, I will give you $50,000 for that car. I will not say to him, why? I'll say, make the check payable to <laughs> Wendy Jenkins. <laughs> and I will not question I would just walk away and think, you know what? Maybe that car was different than I thought. Value. It's determined by what somebody is willing to pay. There's an old African story about a man who chose a wife for himself among his people, and he went to her father to negotiate for her. It was customary for the suitor to offer two to four cows to prove that he could provide for his bride-to-be and to offer something in exchange for his daughter. So this man was different than most men. He found a woman that he really liked. He went to her, and he offered to pay her father ten cows for the woman. Are you following me? You are a village in Africa. I would like to marry someone. And it's customary to pay for that person. And so usually women are getting like two to four cows. Look at the girl next to you. What is she? Well, she's a cow, right? <laughs> Now, what is she worth? Uh, two to four, you know, eh, give or take. So this man walks up to a, a dad and says, hey, I'd like your daughter. And he says, well, can I get two cows for her? And he goes, no. Well, I'll give you ten. So he pays ten cows. The young man treated his new bride like a queen, for he had paid the queen's ransom for her. Likewise, the villagers treated the new, new wife with respect, for she was no ordinary two-cow woman. She was a ten-cow woman. And all this treatment was affected to the young woman, too. She began to act less like a commoner and more like a great lady, for after all, she was a ten-cow woman. I don't know if she got T-shirts printed up. I am a ten-cow woman. And so it was through great sacrifice and wisdom that one African man transformed an ordinary woman into an extraordinary wife. And took great delight in her. That's how God feels about us. God with great wisdom and through great effort and sacrifice has transformed a group of very ordinary sinners into an extraordinary bride for himself. Isaiah calls the woman Zion. Today we're called the church, the bride of Christ. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 62, verses 2 through 5. This is the New Living Translation. This is about you. Everybody say it's about me. Right now, it is all about you. Listen, here's what it says in the Bible about you. The nations will see your righteousness. World leaders will be blinded by your glory. And you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. The Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see. A splendid crown in the hand of God. Never again will you be called the forsaken city, which, by the way, most people think that's what Albemarle means. It doesn't. Or the desolate land, also doesn't mean Albemarle. Your new name will be, listen to this, the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you, and he will claim you as his bride. Your children will commit themselves to you, 
Just as a young man commits himself to his bride, then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. He has saved you. He has made you righteous. You and I, like the African man with a ten-cow wife, are, his extraordinary payment shows our great worth. And here's why. Because being wanted changes everything. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23, warns us of something. It warns us not to throw away what God has paid a high price to redeem. 1 Corinthians 7, 23, Paul writes this, You were bought at a price. Therefore, do not become slaves of men. The cross says more than just I forgive you, which is really good, right? It's good to be forgiven, right? Everybody smile. It's good to be forgiven. Don't think about your ham. It's all good. It's burnt, man. Burnt ham is good. It says more than just I forgive you. It also says I want you. The cross says more than you're free. It also says you're mine. And if salvation gives us victory, then redemption gives us value. And knowing that we're valued changes us. And listen to what I'm saying, okay? If we lived unchanged lives after the salvation of the cross, then we have nullified the redeeming power of the cross. What can you do? <laughs> smile away, boys. Smile away. <laughs> it's always so much more fun for this side because they get to watch. <laughs> oh, Stanley County, the forsaken city. No, I'm kidding. <coughs> Let me say that again. If we live unchanged lives after the salvation of the cross, we nullify the redeeming power of the cross. Let me tell you why that's so important. Because we live in the south. We live in a place where people will tell you that they love Jesus and then cuss you out when they get in the car. We live in a place where people will say that they are following Jesus and then do things consistently that are nothing like he would do. We live in a, in a culture that says, I love the Bible and someday I might read it. We live in a society that has tons of people that say the cross saved me, but it did not change me. And it's not enough to be saved. God's plan is to redeem you. And we are close to wasting that as a society. Churches this morning are full of people who are sticking their head in again today to see if maybe this time it might work. Because they're still saying, hey, I'm just like you, I'm a sinner. Uh, yeah, you're a sinner, but you're saved. If you've given your heart to Jesus, and because you gave your heart to Jesus, He has a plan. It is to redeem you. Because He chose you. The cross doesn't just change us when we're saved. It changes who we will be. That's the big idea for today. You can fill it on top of your sheet. The cross changes who we were. Yes, salvation. But it also changes who we will be. Redemption. 
Last week we talked about grace. We learned that grace was God's redemption always changes everything. So here's how we're going to kind of flow from this point, okay? Daniel, man, we got y'all going to be amazed because you're like, you see Daniel every week and you're like, Daniel plays guitar and sings? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's going to be good. And I just, he's going to sing a song, and it's called Redeemed. It fits today, doesn't it? And I just want to give you the chance while he's singing it just to kind of reflect on what we've talked about to this point. And then I'll come back up and we'll close this out. I want to be very, very clear. I want to be very clear. God wants you. It changes everything to know that the God of the universe has picked me. And if we stop short of that, then all we've done is just, hey, you're bad. Come be good. No, man, don't come be good. Come be changed. Come be redeemed. Come let the value that Jesus paid for you become the value with which you live. Think about that while Daniel sings this song. And I'll come back up and we'll finish up. Just kind of wrap this up a little bit and then we're going to do some singing, some worship. Some takeaways, okay? I'm just going to throw some things at you. You can jot them down if you want to. We're saved from something. Redeemed for something. We are saved from something. We are redeemed for something. Salvation gives us protection. That's a good thing. Redemption gives us direction. Many Christians live their lives aimless. They love Jesus. They're going to go to heaven when they die, but they're doing nothing down here because they don't know what to do. Redemption gives us direction. Salvation rescues us. Redemption restores us. Salvation brings relief. Redemption brings life. Salvation offers us safety. Redemption offers us significance. The redeeming message of the cross is great news, but it is horrific news if we do nothing with it. Let me just make sure, let me wrap it up this way, okay? Everybody look at me. God's redemption is not any different than a Lowe's gift card. Hang with me. It is better than a Lowe's gift card. Here's the sad thing. How many of you have ever had a gift card that you found years later? You never used it. Somebody gave it to you. You found it in your wallet. You found it under your bed. You found it in the couch. And this was back before when they could actually take the value away and it was gone. It was worthless. Anybody ever have that happen to them? Is it just me? Okay. Here's Here's the sad news about the redeeming power of God. He's already paid for you to be redeemed. He has taken out a card and he has said, here, you are worth this. And we take that card and we don't do anything with it. We live our lives the same as we did before. Are we worth more than that? Yes. Why? Because he paid for it. Are we stupid? Yes. Because we live like we're not worth it. Some of you, and apparently, I know this has to be true because in the earlier time when I asked if anybody wanted to know Jesus, everybody said that they knew Jesus. So now I'm talking to Christians who believe that Jesus died on the cross for them. 
But I could be, be talking to Christians who, even though he did that, your life is not changing. You do not wake up in the morning with joy. I will say this. When I was young, I loved Christmas. Now that I've been serving Jesus, I love Easter. I, 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 mean, I woke up this morning, it was like, I get to go to church. I get to go worship a living God. I could not wait to get here. And I was tired. I just couldn't wait to come here. I want to worship Jesus. This is my Christmas. I have changed. Are you changing? And if you're not, it is really as simple as pulling out the gift card and saying to God, thank you. This is your gift card. He paid it all. It is full of the value of God. And he has given it to you so that he can redeem you. So that you can walk out of here differently this morning. And some of you, that's the greatest miracle of all. Because Satan loves to say to us, yeah, okay, all right, look, I'll give it to you. Jesus died on the cross. I know that too. And okay, yes, you're saved. Great. You're going to go to heaven, but I'm so going to screw up your life on earth. I'm going to remind you of everything you ever did that was wrong. I'm going to tell you that God could never use you. You're beyond repair. You've wasted too many years of your life. You're too old. You're too short. You're a Tar Heel fan. Whatever. Whatever. You fill in the blank. Whatever you put there that makes you feel unusable by God. The message of the cross is that he offers us uncommon grace. And he says, you're redeemed. So when we sing these last two songs, there's a lot of room here. Is it an altar? I don't know. It depends on what you do with it. But if you're here this morning and this message is for you, I would love to pray with you. Just, I'll be right here. Well, I'll actually be over there because it's always awkward when you stand here and waiting for people. But I'll be there. I would just love to pray with you. I'd love to give you the chance to not only make Jesus your Savior, but to let Him be your Redeemer. This Easter would be the day that your life changed forever because He chose you. He picked you. He picked you. And he is able to make everything new in our lives. God, it's one of those deals where, you know, we just want to call out to you. And we don't have an answer. We're not looking for a, like, 10-step program. We just want to say to you, God, we have maybe not lived our lives in a way that reflects the price you paid for them. And we do not want to throw away the great value that you have placed in us at the cross. And I thank you that I was an orphan and I'm not anymore. That I now have a home. I have a family because I have been redeemed. 
pray this morning, God, for those that are in this house that need that kind of hope. They would make their way quickly to you. And that you would begin to restore their lives. Just make all things new. It's going to stand together. I know the lights are going to go out. We're going to sing a couple songs that talk about the redemption of God. This is the time when as a church, if you are living in a redeemed way, this is your chance to shout. Just to, man, get all into God. Because he's the one that's changing you. So would you stand with me? And if you'd like to pray over any area of your life where you would like God to begin to restore you, man, just come up here and grab me. Let's pray together.